morning. Happy Sunday. So excited to be in this uh, new series. Excited to have Hebrews behind us. That was a fun book. It was a hard book. It was a fun book. Um, we're starting a new sermon series called The One Another's of Scripture, A New Community. And um, if you know Jesus Christ, you're part of his eternal community, this new community that he's created for his own glory and for us to be loved. He's created us to be loved. And uh, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, the first one another, um, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus came and died to establish a new community. I talked about this a few weeks ago, that the reason that Jesus died, the end for Jesus' death was not forgiveness of our sins. It was so that we could be a new community, that we could be in relationship with the living God, the perfect God, and that we would have complete access to him anytime we wanted it. That he is our great high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. His office doors are always open. This new community made up of new people is called the church. Not little C church, but big C church, all believers around the world. It's made up of former enemies who are now adopted, sons and daughters. It's a community in process. Hear me on that. That this new community is being perfected by a perfect God, but we're a community in process. And being in process, we're continually being transformed by the power of the gospel. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, The Church Before the Watching World, wrote this. One cannot explain the explosive dynamite, or dunamis, the Greek word for dynamite, of the early church, apart from the fact that they, were, that they practiced two things simultaneously. Orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community. And they practiced both of these in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world would see. We're the visible church. We're the church that does community together, but we're also Christ's greatest witness. He continues, By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community, might I say loving community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful, and it must be there. Where? In this new community called the church. Schaefer used the phrase orthodox community to say that the beauty of human relationships is not an, an optional add-on for an otherwise complete biblical church. In other words, the, the church doesn't begin and end with right doctrine. It begins and ends with a loving community. In John 17, Jesus prayed for this new community. Some of you know the prayer. In John 17, 9, 21, and 23, Jesus said this, I am praying for them. He's praying to the Father. I'm praying for them, this new community. I'm not praying for the world, the human race in general, but for those whom you have given me, Father, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they, the church, the new community, also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's our greatest witness. It's the way that we live in community with one another. 
I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. They, the church, the new community, might become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. God receives the glory due to him when the people of his new community live in loving unity. God receives the glory that is due to him when his new community people live in loving unity with one another. That's our greatest witness. If we go out to the street corner and evangelize, if we go to the ends of the earth and evangelize, and we have not love for one another, our witness is null and void. Yes, the, the power of the, the, the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. But it's hard to hear that gospel when people's ears are clogged with a hate-filled, disunified church. Not just the local church, but the big C church. The world. The, the unregenerate people around us. The world is angry, divisive, vindictive. They're partial and they're trigger happy. And the church isn't much different. The church doesn't always look different. But Jesus prayed for us, his church, his new community, that we would be a new kind of community in this world. Why? So that more people might look beyond this world as they see in this new community some reflection of the unity of the Father with the Son, and then they would believe in the gospel. I don't, we can't understate this. Excuse me, we can't overstate this. That love is the mark. Love is a defining mark of Christ's new community. Specifically, love for others in our community. Love for other Christians. Loving our enemies is a whole different subject. What John is talking about in this passage today that we're going to get to in a few minutes is loving the brethren, loving others that are part of the new community. And if I had a, a theme for today, it would be this. When the love of God is manifest by his people loving one another, he receives the glory and his people receive the joy. When the love of God is manifest, um, when it's operating in his people by loving one another, he receives the glory by us loving one another, and we receive joy. If you, are you looking for joy this morning? It's found in loving other people particularly people in the Christian community who are unloving, unlovable. Love is essential to human flourishing, as is our need for water and air. We were created to be loved and to love others. The challenge is that we have been loved and love imperfectly. We've been loved by others imperfectly, and we have loved others imperfectly. And when we love others, it's oftentimes based on what we can get out of them. I know, it's, I know it's true for me. It's easy for me to love others when they love me. Or there's something in it for me. It's easy for me to serve and to give and to sacrifice when others recognize it and appreciate my giving, my serving, my sacrifice. It's easy to love when others are lovable. It's easy to forgive when others seek forgiveness. Loving others is easy for me when I'm getting everything I want from the relationship. Over the years, 
I've seen many disputes in the context of Christian community. Christian marriages, Christian friendships, Christian institutions publicly warring against each other. And in these disputes, in these Christian conflicts, the cause of it is most often when neither party is willing to be vulnerable and give up any ground. They're protecting what they have rather than giving what the other person needs. Ultimately, in these disputes or conflict, it's people, Christians, um, who are marked by Christ, but they are living, they are selfishly seeking their own glory and clinging to their own perceived rights rather than seeking the glory of God and the good of the other party. I think what characterizes the church today is low commitment to loving others and a high priority of being loved by others. Oftentimes, well, I won't even go there. I think we naturally, as people, as human beings, even as, uh, as human beings that have been brought into the new community, that have been regenerated, that are in the process of being transformed, that we, we naturally want to protect our ground while not giving up ground to others. It's easier to fight and to run than it is to stay and try to outdo one another in love and honor. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 one another's that are helpful to our understanding of how we are to live and treat one another as members of Christ's new community. Today we embark in this eight-week sermon, sermon series on the one another's of Scripture with the, with the aim, here's our aim, to, to encourage this church to live out our gospel doctrine together. That's the aim. It's not just about accumulating more doctrine, more knowledge. It's ultimately about living out our doctrine. And we're going to go through eight one another's. Let me list them for you. Love one another. Number two, build up and encourage one another. Three, live in harmony with one another, even when we have secondary and tertiary differences. Number four, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Five, bear one another's burdens. Six, pray for one another. Seven, serve one another. And eight, stay tuned, it's going to be fun, sing to one another. So we're starting with love one another as Christ's love is the foundation and the motivation for loving others and for living out the one another's. That Jesus' love for us is the foundation and the motivation for us to love others and to live out the one another's. Jonathan Edwards said this, love is the chief of the affections and the foundation of all other affections. Love is the chief of affections and the foundation of all other affections. Paul says this in Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, members of his new community, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. That love is the conductor, making everything work together. I'm going to start in an odd place. And for a couple of these guys that actually um, heard the direction I was going on Friday, um, 48 hours ago, I'm going a different direction today. So hang on. In our passage today, John mentions the glory of God five times in two verses, verses 31 and 32. So we're going to start there. It's important to understand that love is the hallmark of God's glory. That love is the mark, the defining mark of Christian community, but love is also the hallmark of God's glory. Verses 31 through 33. And I would encourage you that if you have your Bible, open it. If you have it on your phone, open it, because we're going to be in chapter 13, but we're going to be going back to chapter 12 as well. And I, don't, I won't have a lot of these on the screen. Uh, verse 31 and 32. And when he had gone out, this is talking about Judas in, in chapter 12. Judas had, it was just going out to throw Jesus under the bus to, um, to get a little bit of money by turning Jesus in. When he had gone out, Jesus, Judas, uh, Jesus said to the other eleven, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What is glory? What is glory? We talk about, talk about glory a lot. Glory, this is the best definition I think I've ever heard, glory is the outward shining of God's inward being. Glory is the outward shining of the inward being of God, of God's inward, inward being. And glory is not primarily, primarily what we give God, but what he gives us. Glory is not primarily what we give God, but what God gives us. There's many examples of glory in the Old Testament. Um, if you go to Exodus and many other places in the Old Testament, it says when the, when the tabernacle was enveloped in a shining cloud, they had a word for it. It was God's glory. The glory filled the temple. We see it all over Scripture. John, in this beautiful um, epistle, this beautiful um, gospel letter, John continually points to the glory of God um, time after time. In John 1.14... When the eyewitnesses saw the incarnate and eternal God, of, eternal God in Jesus, they, it says they saw the glory of God. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In chapter 2, verse 11, when Jesus turned the water into wine in Cana, this miraculous sign, it says that it manifested his glory as they all got a glimpse of the real character and nature of God. In John 7, 39, uh, Jesus said the spirit has not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When Lazarus was sick, it was for God's glory. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the people saw God's glory. John 11, 4 and 40. But when Jesus heard of it, heard of Lazarus' death, he said this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus said to her, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
And if you go to chapter 12 now, fast forward to chapter 12, right before our passage today, in verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? To be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A couple of verses later, in verses 27 and 28, still in chapter 12, now he says, now my soul is troubled. Just a side note, there's only two other places in, in the New Testament where Jesus' soul is troubled. And one of those is when he saw uh, uh, Martha weeping because Lazarus, Lazarus has died. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, past tense, and I will glorify it again. His heart is troubled. Why? The hour has come. The hour has come for him to lay down his life. Any minute there's going to be a revelation of the character and heart of God. He says, I have glorified your name, Father, in, pa- in the past by doing signs, miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead, oh, knock that over, um, by, by healing blind people and healing those that had um, leprosy and casting um, demons out of demonic-filled people. So I have, I have glorified your name by signs and wonders, and I will glorify it again, he says. How's he going to do that? Verse 31 through 33. We're told how God will be glorified. This is in chapter 12, I think. Yes, it is chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What could possibly show his glory more than turning water into wine? More than raising Lazarus from the dead or healing lepers and the blind and casting out demons? Now back to chapter 13, 31 through 32. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Watch and listen as to how God receives glory. Watch the beating. Watch the stripping. Watch the whipping, the nailing to the cross, the last breath, and you see God's glory. Where's God's justice and holiness most clearly seen? The cross of Christ. Where's God's hate for evil? And sin most clearly seen at the cross of Christ. Where is the justice of God and the love of God held together? At the cross of Christ. Because of my sin, because of your sin, he must destroy you and me. But if God is love, how does he pardon us and welcome us into his new community? The cross of Christ. It's at the cross of Christ that Jesus stood and hung in our place. Where is the glory of God and the love of God revealed in its fullest? At the cross of Christ. And it's at the cross of Christ that we see and feel the heartbeat of God. John 13, 
little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. When Jesus was with his disciples, how did you know that someone was a follower of Jesus? Because Jesus was with his disciples. Because they followed him. That was a defining mark. They left their jobs. They left their nets. And they followed Christ. But once he's gone, what will be the mark of the new community? How will people know that we're followers of Jesus Christ? Doctrine? That's important. Missions? That's important. But the mark of a compelling and authentic Christian community where God's glory is most clearly seen is Calvary love. Cross-shaped love. And he, he calls this a new commandment. He calls loving others as he loved us a new commandment. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Since I am leaving you, since you're being left behind, you must love one another as I have loved you. This is how others will know we are Christians and how God will be glorified and how we will find joy. Like It's appalling to see the number of Christians throughout history, throughout the world, that have publicly feuded together and separated Brothers and sisters, our witness is at stake. Not just in this local church, but the way that we think of other Christians in this community that we might disagree with on secondary and tertiary issues. People that we're going to see in heaven. And we publicly throw them under the bus. And the world is watching and like, why would I want anything to do with that? In John 15, 8 through 12, I love this. He says, this, by, by this my Father is glorified, that you, Christian, bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, here's how, you, here's how you bear fruit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Soak in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. This is the commandment he's given us right here to, that brings him glory and brings you joy. This is my commandment that what? Say it. That you love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us. Selfishly loving others, it's, it's upside down. It's otherworldly. It's not natural love. It's a cross-shaped love that brings joy. John refers to this commandment to love others as an old yet new commandment. And his Jewish audience would have understood exactly what he was talking about. It was an old commandment in that it was a foundation, it was foundational to God's law in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, 18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. 
but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's new. It's a new commandment because God's Old Testament people didn't have an example to follow, nor the power to follow it. So John calls it a new commandment. And this is a commandment for Christians, those who have been ushered into a new community. It's the command to love one another. And it's motivated. And its foundation, as I've already said, is the cross of Christ. So the mark of this new community is not right belief. The devil has right belief. You know that? The devil believes everything about Jesus that you do. It's not a passionate, the mark of a new community isn't a passionate or religious zeal. The mark of a new community isn't spiritual gifts. The mark of this new community is love, specifically agape love. Cross-shaped give love, not self-centered need or take love. The way we live one another in our church grows out of what we believe together. Doctrine's important. Don't go sending me emails this afternoon saying, what did you just say? The doctrine's not important. Ray Ortland writes this, gospel doctrine, sound gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. So how do we know that we are, the, 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 the doctrine of the gospel is actually in our blood system? It's because we live it out. And what we bleed is love and not judgment. There's a place for judgment, but it's loving judgment. So do you consider purity of doctrine essential? Probably, I hope so. Do you consider the beauty of a loving community essential? I hope so. The kind of love that John is calling believers to is a selfless give love, not a selfish need love. This is the perfect love that Jesus poured out to you and me in his life, to his disciples in his life, and the perfect love that was manifest on the cross. He served and died so that we might be served and live. And living in this context, I've got, a, I've got a note on my whiteboard if you go in my office, and it says this, to, to live life is to give life. To, li- to live life is to give life. You want to live life to its fullest? To have the abundant life? Stop hanging on to what God's given you and pour it out. Give it to others, even those that aren't who you deem not deserving of it. C.S. Lewis, in his excellent book, The Four Loves, anybody read The Four Loves? I would highly recommend it. I spoke about this back in 2019 as well when we were going through 1 John. And in this excellent book, The Four Loves, he breaks down four different Greek words for love. Storge, which is affection. Phileia, which is friendship. Eros, which is romantic. And agape, which is charity. And the most common word used for God's love towards his people and the most common word that he encourages us to give to others is agape or charity love. 
But I want to give you just a high-level definition of the other three. Storge affection, it's it's the type of love that a mother might have for a child. It's just, it's it's a natural love. Philea is, give me grace on this term, but it's the best one. It's a me too kind of love. It's like you're, with, you're at the coffee shop and you hear somebody talking about fly fishing and your ears perk up because you're a fly fisher. Or somebody's talking about doing, being a crossfitter or a cross-stitcher or whatever it is that you do. And you go, wow, I do that too, me too. And you've got like an immediate bond to them and you want to get to know them better. That's philea love. And the third one is, is eros, romantic love. That's really reserved between husband and wife. And Lewis says this funny quip. He says, without eros, romantic love, none of us would have been begotten. And without the affection, the storge love, none of us would have been raised. But we can all live and breed without friendship. Lewis calls affection, friendship, and erotic love a need love. Because oftentimes these three types of love are given because they somehow meet a need that the giver has, quite frankly. It's a selfish love. Have you ever thought about that? I've thought about it a ton lately. I've thought about it in the past as well. Like, what, like what am I doing to try to get something from other people? Rather than just loving with reckless abandon based on what they need, whether I get nothing in return. These three Need love, storge, philea, and eros are based on the object of love being lovable. They're easy to love. It's a natural love, if you will. Some say it's chemistry. It's a love extended because the recipient is lovely in, in some way, shape, or form. Agape love, on the other hand. This is the love that, that God has for you as the pinnacle of his creation and the way that we are to love one another. It's, it's a love that creates. Think about this just for a minute. Why did God create humanity? He didn't need us. The, 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 the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were perfectly unified. They weren't just sitting around one day and going, like, well, like, like, what do you want to do today? We need to create something so we have something to do. No, they created you so that you could experience the eternal and infinite love of the triune God. Agape is complete. It's self-sufficient. It has no wants or needs to satisfy other than the desire to see others loved. And agape is a love that gives everything to the recipient with no strings attached. The love of Christ and the way we love one another in this new community is a sacrificial give love. We love as he has loved us. This agape love is not dependent upon our feelings. This is important because our culture defines love as a feeling. And there's a couple of 70s songs I was really tempted to sing up here, but I decided not to. The post, you're welcome. The post the postmodern definition of love is this. Love is the feeling that you feel when you feel you're going to feel a feeling that you never have felt before. need to breathe. I'm like seeing stars after reading that. But the Bible defines love not as a feeling, but what? As a giving. Not a feeling, but a giving. The willingness to serve one another, to want the best for one another, and to do costly 
things that will improve the condition of life for other people, specifically Christians, is to give love. Even when you get nothing in return. Worse, when there's a cost to your love. That's the type of love that God is calling us to. Agape is the way God loves you and me and the way he wants us to love others in this new community. And the more we understand God's love for us, and the more, we, the more we're free to love others without experiencing anything in return. God created us to experience his love. I can't say it enough. He had no needs to fulfill, therefore he loved sacrificially and selflessly. And when we love that way, what happens? Two things. God is glorified. What do you get? The fullness of joy. Our love should be more like His, giving love to the undeserving, not from our, not from our need or for our need, but for the benefit and the and the satisfaction of other people's needs. Agape is needing others less and loving others more. We're commended. We're commanded to give love to the undeserving those whom we don't always agree with. Get this, or even naturally like. Loving your brother is selfless and demands nothing in return. Hating your brother is giving him what he deserves rather than risking everything and giving him what he doesn't deserve. This is a C.S. Lewis quote too. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, he says, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. To love in this way is to be vulnerable. It's to basically take your heart out in the same way Jesus took his heart out. And say, here, receive this love. Because we have been loved by our Creator, and we are secure in his love. We can love others with reckless abandon. Let's not hold back, expecting nothing in return. The greatest definition of love is the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to see what love is all about, study the life of Jesus, and you'll discover that he is the supreme demonstration of love. First John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When we're free and secure and anchored in the love of Christ, we can confess our sins to one another, even if our confession isn't received. We can forgive others, even when they have not sought our forgiveness. We can serve others for their benefit, expecting nothing in return. And I want to just, I want to just read... Romans 12, 9 through 21. Like this is one of those sermons where like I really just feel like I should just like be reading, reading scripture from beginning to end. It speaks for itself. This is a scripture that I read this past week as I was involved in the mediation of two parties. who 
have publicly drugged the name of Christ through the mud. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Remember, this is give love that's being talked about here. This is sacrificial love, expecting nothing in return. Saying, here's my heart. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let that just sink in for a minute. Outdo one another. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil. In the church, we talk more about, yeah, but there's justice, isn't there? Yeah, but there's justice, isn't there? You see, the cross of Christ is where justice and love collided. Yes, there's justice. But we're never to, to take vengeance upon ourselves. We're never to avenge ourselves. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty with those. Okay, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. As far as it depends on the other person. No, is, if possible, as far as it depends upon you and me, residents of this new community, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, don't take vengeance. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by, don't be, don't be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I want to just leave you with this, because oftentimes in Christian relationships, in any relationship, what we're doing at the end of the day is we're seeking our own glory by wanting to win or wanting to be right, by standing up for our perceived rights. And a loving community isn't found by winning at any cost. It's found in the shape of the cross laying down our lives for one another, dying for one another, seeking the good for others, no matter what the cost is. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, loving us. (laughs) Thank you that we are secure and anchored in your love. And God, I know that when I am walking in that security, when I am cognizant of being anchored into your love. Lord, I'm just freer to love other people without expecting anything in return. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the justice and the love that we see at the cross. That you are a just God who cannot tolerate sin. And that every human being 
should have been and could have been wiped from the face of the earth, sent away from your presence for all of eternity. But you so loved us that you gave your begotten Son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. We will never perish and we will have eternal life. And we get to enjoy the author of eternal life today and for all of eternity. And I pray that those truths would motivate us and would be a firm foundation for us to love other people sacrificially for their good and benefit, not expecting anything in return. And I pray that you would use our love in this new community to bring yourself glory, certainly to give us joy, but to be a massive witness to bring others into this new community. Would you give us that strength and that courage, that humility to live that way? And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.